0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3, put a bookmark in there, this is where we have been the last number of weeks. Second book of the Bible, they're both pretty long books, Genesis and Exodus, so it should be f- relatively easy to find if you have your device, certainly uh, Version Bible app is an easy one with many uh, free translations that you can peruse through. So, follow along, I'm not going to read this extended passage. As I said, this, and this is a long story. At times, we'll pause, we'll, we'll read every word, uh, we'll work our way through that, that passage. There's so, there is so much to glean, and we're just probably taking the surface gleanings in, in so many ways. There'll be other portions of Scripture that I'm going to rely on you having read and engaged with at some point. We'll walk through this one a little bit, uh, but we won't cover every piece of it Or every verse today. So there's so know this, there is more. And I hope you will engage with the more. And where there might be things that you think I left out we could have discussed, that is a fantastic observation to bring to your life groups and say, I wish I wish Ben would have touched on this point and mentioned it. I have questions about it, or I'm I'm stirred by it. What say you, community of God, as we gather around the tables or coffee tables in our living rooms so respond in that way we're in this extended encounter between Moses and God in the burning bush a really a pinnacle story throughout judaism for all of israel's history and for christians who have come to inherit that as well we point to and look to this passage uh, to reveal in so many ways who god is his character his nature we've looked at it the last couple of weeks Some may be familiar simply from a, a Sunday school story, maybe many throughout the years. Maybe we would see it and hear it in whole new ways as we engage it. The call of God, radical, amazing, supernatural, certainly one of a kind on the pages of Scripture, at least in its details, but can't we relate? Is it our call too? As we read the encounter, it seems like fantasy, Hard to believe. But to be fair, Moses lived it and it was hard for him to believe. As you read the encounter of God speaking to Moses through a burning bush that is not consumed and the subsequent miraculous signs that come as we look into chapter 4 here, do you find yourself thinking, if that had been me, if I was in Moses' sandals or standing barefoot on the ground there before the burning bush, I would have responded differently than Moses did. I know not perfectly, but I mean, come on, Moses. I mean, personally, I've prayed to hear God's voice, to receive a sign, to, to, that God would strengthen my faith, direct my path, clarify my call, for God to show up, for God to speak countless times. I'm not alone in that, am I? Haven't been, those been the nature of your prayers over your years, perhaps? I know many of your stories, years of pursuing God, of walking with Him. Summarize often in our, maybe in those moments of desperation or trial, God speak, God come, God show me, God reveal, God help. Just those simple heart cry prayers, maybe they're not even formed in words, And here is God showing up and speaking and calling and leading and directing and promising to a man who's not even looking, who by all accounts isn't even seeking God, isn't even praying. He's walking around the wilderness with a stick in his hand. It's pretty easy to be envious. Moses' response to God seems to confirm this, to confirm that maybe probably all that was on his mind that day was, man, it is hot today. Because he questions, he doubts, he makes excuses, and then at the end of it, he flat out refuses. God, send someone else. You've got the wrong guy. Had he been praying for God to show up in his life, to speak, to call him on a new adventure? I think his response would be a little different. Certainly, questions could be understandable. Maybe that's not what he had expected, but this reluctance and hesitancy and doubt and fear seems out of place for a man who is seeking God. Now, I know that God has answered my prayers, sometimes those prayers of desperation, sometimes those God-speak, God-lead kinds of prayers. I wonder if you would feel the same, but nothing like a burning bush experience. A staff turning to a snake and back again, water turning to blood, those seem like pretty powerful signs. The way I would describe God's voice into my life would often be more like deep conviction, a stirring that doesn't go away, phrases like a burning in my my soul or some form of vision or dream. God speaks in an endless amount of ways. He is not restricted. And God's people throughout the centuries have described it in different ways. But rarely do we get the actual burning bush encounter. And we sometimes read those kinds of encounters, those supernatural ones on the pages of Scripture, and wonder, would I not have responded differently if I was in that place? We're meant to walk away from this story and see that Moses is not its hero, He leaves us longing for a better leader, a more faithful one, who does not doubt or waver or question but goes at God's call, willing to uproot everything, to lay his life on the line, to engage God's mission and purposes. That's really our two points today. One, Moses is not the hero of the story, it makes us long for another, and two, We're a lot like Moses. Now, if we're going to be bold enough to ask God, why have you not shown up or why are you not showing up in my life? I don't need a burning bush, but maybe maybe something, maybe an awareness of your voice and your presence, a clarity of what I'm seeking, a redirection if necessary in my life. God, I'm willing and I'm not sensing you. If that's been your reality at any moment or if it is now, and we're bold enough to ask, why would you do this for a Moses who's not even looking for you? I'm here, God. I'm here even an hour earlier, hopefully to be with one another, but to collectively want to draw near to God. That's a part of our, our faithful rhythm. So if we're going to be bold enough to ask that question of why are you not speaking, God? May we also be humble enough to say, God... Have I walked by many burning bushes and missed it because my eyes were on so many other things and so distracted that I didn't even stop and say, let me go and see? God, have you been calling? Have you called and been calling in my life? And I've had my earbuds in. I've invited so much other noise into my life that I never even heard your voice. May we be humble enough to ask those kinds of prayers as we also say, God, I I don't hear you or sense you in this moment or in this place. I need you, God. If that is true, now some of us might be aware of times where we have clearly done that. We've clearly been pursuing so many other things to put our trust or our hope or our security in, to listen to other voices, that there really was no room for God to come in and speak short of a burning bush right in our path, which God has the right to do but does not seem often to do. All we can say is, God, if that is possible, forgive me today. I confess where I know that is my nature at times. Forgive me. And by the grace of God, he does. And you are here. And your prayer can be what we just prayed and what we saw Moses pray at the first response to God. Here I am. Here I am, God. Show up, speak, lead. May, we, may I not miss it today. My ears are clear, my eyes are tuned, my heart is ready. I think. Maybe we are tested in that. We've already seen that Moses doesn't have the sterling resume that we might expect for one that God is going to see and choose to do one of the pinnacle works of redemption and leadership that we see on any, any page in any story in Scripture. Moses has been in his life reactionary. Some would say even hot-headed not thinking. He is guilty of a murder, he's impulsive. He was rejected by his own people, he ran away and hid rather than confront and take accountability to save his own life, and he's been wandering now in the desert for 40 years. Seemingly content to live out his days in that place, to never go to pursue any kind of reconciliation or reuniting with his family of origin. We're uncertain of so many of those details, but at this point, Scripture says he is 80 years old, seems he's not looking for a new adventure at all and perhaps not seeking God at any point, but God shows up. He shows up in a miraculous way, and Moses' response, he questions, he doubts, he makes excuses, and he ultimately refuses. In chapter 3, we've already seen Moses say, who am I? Which from a humble heart can be a great prayer. We sense God calling us to, to something radical or unique or to lay our life on the line in some form, to sacrifice, and we say, who am I, God? What difference would it make? I'm not enough. But it seems as the, as the conversation goes on that Moses is just making excuses or hesitating or uncertain. He says, who are you, God? We looked at that last week, and God's response is, I am who I am, Yahweh. I will be who I will be. I am the God forever. I'm the forever God. He makes his character and nature and essence known to Moses. Now we go into chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answers again as God is engaging with him. But what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? So he's starting to process. This is pretty far-fetched. If I go repeat this story, no one's going to believe it. You ever have those kinds of moments? I start talking like I met with God and heard from him. People are going to think I'm nuts. Now, to be clear, Moses is not saying, what if Pharaoh does not believe me? He's saying, what if my own people do not believe me or listen to me? He knows, even though it's been 40 years, he knows that last encounter with those Israelite brothers after he had killed the man, stepping in to defend the abuse against perpetuated against his Brothers, they said, who made you ruler and judge over us? An ironic foreshadow of what was coming. But that's in his mind still. Who am I to go and declare anything on behalf of God? They already rejected me, even as an advocate, let alone a leader. What if they don't listen? What if they doubt? What if they say, clearly, God did not appear to you? God graciously continues to engage with Moses. And he gives them these three signs. Okay, if they do not believe your words, even though in the passage he says, they will believe you. I will be with you. They will believe you. He still gives him these miraculous signs. See that staff in your hand? Throw it down. And it turns into a snake. He jumps back. Later, God says, now grab it by its tail. Now, that took some boldness. Got to credit him for that. And it turns back into a staff. There's sign number one. Second, Moses, put your hand into your cloak. Now pull it out, and it's covered in some form of skin disease. Some translations say leprosy. We don't know for sure. Uh, it's, a, it's an uncertain phrase in the Hebrew, but clearly an astonishing sight from a healthy hand, maybe an 80-year-old wrinkled hand, healthy, but to a, uh, an obvious deformity or disease covering his hand. I imagine he jumped back in the same way that he jumped back from that snake. God says, now replace it and pull it out again, and it's healed. Sign number two. The third is less of a sign. The Scripture doesn't say it was a sign, but I think it's a declaration, a powerful symbol. Take this water and pour it onto the ground, and it turns to blood. There's so much symbolism and foreshadowing here of what's coming in the story. If you've read ahead or you know some of the rest of the story through the plagues and through the way God delivers His people, Related to Moses' staff, to illness and disease, and to water and blood. And rather than press into all those details, I give them to you to say, Oh, I'm starting to, I see some of that. I see some of the story, or to hold that in mind as we progress. Overarching, God wants Moses to know, and all Israel to know, as Moses recounts this, and all of us to know as we read it, that He is the God over all creation. He is the God that can take a stick and bring life to it. He is the God that is over all illness or disease. He's the author of health and healing. And He is over life and death itself. The symbol of water is life and blood. Blood too is life, but when our blood is poured out, it is gone. When water is turned to blood later in the story, it it means death. For life cannot continue without water. God is over it all, and at a moment, at a blink, really without even a word, he governs it. And that's the message that he wants Moses to receive. So this happens, he gets these three signs or symbols of God's power and authority over all things, and at this moment, he says, oh God, forgive me for any doubt that I had, I am in, I'm all in. No, that's not what he says Verse ten, O oh Lord, I've never been eloquent of speech, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. Not sure what that was about in this moment. Okay, I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Hebrew phrase is I'm, I'm heavy or dull of tongue or mouth. Some have guessed maybe he had a stutter. I think probably more likely as, as he recognizes what God is asking him to do to lead the elders and all Israel, and to go and confront Pharaoh in his high court, for 40 years he's been probably speaking a different language, and he's saying, "I don't have the ability. I've lost that ability to go and speak high court Egyptian of that era, and I'm just not an eloquent speaker." That's again, you've got the wrong guy. I, I'm not the one. The Lord, Yahweh, responds to him again. He's still engaging. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go. I will help you speak, I will teach you what to say. So God has already said, I will be with you. Now he's saying, I will be with your mouth, your words. Every step of the way, this is not your concern. There is a whole sermon right there. I almost wanted to preach it. I think you get it. One of the applications is, if we are waiting to be fully equipped and prepared to have all the answers, to do anything, really, especially in in ministry or for God, we'll never do it. We'll never do anything. Our equipping comes as we journey because God is with us us. Every step of the way. Jesus would say something similar. Go. And when you confront kings, pharaohs, leaders, rulers, and know not what to say, the Spirit will give you the words to say. The Spirit is with you. I love how Jesus reaffirms that same promise, knowing the story backward and forward. The primary message to Moses here is it's Not about you, it's about me. Trust me, Moses. And here it is, verse 13. Oh Lord, please send someone else. Moses makes us wonder what God is up to. We stumble if we think this was the best option God had. Or that Moses is the hero. Now later he will do some pretty heroic things. But remember his roots. Look where he began. Really every every story throughout Scripture paints our leader, the leaders of God's people, the deliverers, the prophets. It paints them in a light that says God didn't choose them for them, for their resume, for their experience, for their goodness. He chose them for His glory, because God simply loves to take the low things, the last things, the least likely ones, to do great things. It makes us long, everyone, for a greater hero, a greater leader. We recognize that that is not us either, and even if we believe our response would have been slightly different, we do have to humbly ask those same questions of, have I ever been impulsive like Moses? Have I ever made mistakes that I regret, ones that had consequences that cannot be undone? Have you ever found yourself in a place in life that you never expected to be? You're just trying to make the best of it. Have you ever questioned God or His character, His purposes? Have you ever dragged your feet to do what you know you needed to do, that God was asking you to do, maybe because it was uncertain, it was unclear, you didn't have it all together, or it wasn't on your timeline. Not now, God, maybe later. (laughs) Or simply said, someone else will do it. We don't come away from this story being amazed by Moses. If we're honest, we see ourselves clearly in Moses, and if we're humble, We ask those kinds of questions. We see that we are still in great need of another hero. And that hero is our God. God comes looking for Moses, not the other way around. All through Scripture, we see God is the initiator. He loves. He pursues. At best, we receive that love and pursuit. We notice it and we respond to it. And God continues that rhythm into our lives. He is the hero, the amazing one, Yahweh, God of God forever. God doesn't need Moses. He doesn't need us. He wants Moses. He wants us. God wanted a shepherd in this moment, not a king. God wanted a shepherd's staff to be the symbol of power, not a sword. This humble, lowly symbol to unsettle the balance of power in the world to be the sign of God at work. This wouldn't be the last time that God pursued an unlikely shepherd to become leader of His people. Think David first. Think Jesus who, though probably did grow up in some form with animals and the agrarian culture was more of a carpenter, took upon himself that title of shepherd for the sheep. It seems that God is more interested in pursuing those who are not pursuing power and influence and control, but are simply aware of their humble state, that these are the ones that God chooses to do great things through. Jesus would choose relative nobodies, fishermen, even the spies in their society, tax collectors, and say, follow me and I will remake you, my own translation. I will change everything and make you now fishers of people. God takes the smallest seed and makes the massive tree. From nothing He creates everything. From the dirt, He breathes life. From death, He brings life. And God will work through Moses and this shepherd's staff, not a sword, to humble the world's leading power and to be the symbol of deliverance for His people. Broadly speaking, God loves to use the ordinary to do the extraordinary. So if you find yourself in a place that says, I have nothing significant to bring to God. I'm living an ordinary life. Don't miss his voice and call into your life that he gets all the glory. This seems to be his way. It humbles us. It should amaze us. It should give us great hope. If God loved and pursued Moses like this, he will love and pursue us like this. He will engage with us, first initiating. It's why you're here today. He has initiated to draw you into his community, into a place, whether a family or a church family, to hear his promises, to hear his voice, when countless millions around our globe could not say the same. God has initiated his pursuit of you in all of his glorious, infinite ways. May we be more and more aware of his initiation. May we be amazed at his engagement. That even when we doubt, dismiss, hesitate, question, wonder, our God continues in his patience and his love toward us, engaging. Notice that God does not chide or rebuke Moses for these questions, for these doubts, for these uncertainties. Only at the very end, when he, after seeing everything, flatly refuses, does God's anger begin to, and I think the right translation is, smolder. It's it's coming, it's emerging, and we see that as as a metaphor of God throughout the Scriptures. God will get angry when we dismiss and distrust, or when there's unrighteousness and injustice in our world. We see that. And I think we want that. We don't want a passive God who does not have passion for righteousness, for justice, for our our trust, our worship, and our obedience. But He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love by His own declaration, Exodus 34, when Moses again will meet Him on this same mountain, He will declare that's who He is, His character, Our God does not give up easily on us. Praise God for that. That gives us hope. I love at the end of this passage in chapter 4, verse 17, the phrasing is interesting. It's like God is reminding Moses to take the staff. After everything that happened, is he walking away with the staff on the ground? I don't think so. Moses, take this staff. That seems pretty obvious based on the encounter. I think God is saying to Moses is remember. Not just carry the staff with you. He's been doing that for 40 years. Remember, as you go, remember where you've come from. Remember, you're a shepherd. Remember, it's not you. It's not your power. As he becomes more and more of the spokesperson's, God, by his grace, will send his brother Aaron and say, Aaron can speak for you since you're concerned about your tongue. But as we see the story go on, it becomes Moses who does the primary speaking in front of Pharaoh. He just needed to get going, it seems like, and he was okay. Moses will do some pretty amazing, heroic things. He will lay his life on the line. He will become a strong leader and judge. I think right here from the beginning, God is saying, get that staff in your hand and remember. It's who I am. Stay humble, Moses. Lead boldly, but stay humble. And there will be a moment later in his story where he acts out on his own and forgets. I think he become, becomes accustomed to the ability that he has been given by God, but takes it in his own authority. We'll see that later in the story. God says, remember, and I think God says to us, remember When I invite you and call you to step out, to be courageous, to lead, to sacrifice, to redirect your life with uncertainty, without clarity, remember who I am. Remember who you are. I am with you. Stay humble. I love that God is so patient and engaging with us. He initiates, He is patient, He is engaging us, and He invites us to never forget that, as we are called to walk with Him. He will receive our uncertainties, our doubts, our surprise, our hesitation, rightfully so, our hesitation to sacrifice, to redirect our life, to go on a new adventure, maybe even when we're not seeking it at all, but it starts to become clear that God is asking this of us. He will remain. He will engage. He will remind us of who He is and His promises day by day if we're willing to hear Him and stay close with Him. The parallels to the call of God into the stories of Scripture I had much on this. I started writing. I'm like, oh, I love seeing the parallels of the call to Joshua, of Samuel, of Gideon, of Isaiah, of Paul. They're they're different in many ways, but there's so many similarities. And again, there's going to be many times throughout this study and this long book and this rich story that I'm going to have to set aside sermons. But just know that there's so clearly a rhythm of God's pursuit, of His voice, of his call even to unsuspecting ones, of his patient engagement until they are ready to go, ready to yield, ready to trust. And it should give us hope that God has not changed and continues, though the circumstances, the details may be very different, he continues to engage. We may have an encounter like Moses, we may not. We may have an encounter like Jacob had, Maybe that's our personality. We wrestle with God. We need a blessing. God, bless me. And He probably will. We'll probably also walk away with a limp to be reminded forever of who we're depending on. All of the fledgling characters of faith throughout the Scripture make us wonder if God knows what He's doing. Will there ever be a true hero of the story who hears God call, God's call, His voice, and goes without hesitation to lead, to deliver, to lay it all in the line, to sacrifice, willing to die in faithfulness, in obedience, in righteousness, unwavering to the end? There is only one. It points us squarely to our Lord and Savior, Jesus who heard God's voice. And Scripture declares over and over, we've looked at this, that God sent His Son and God Himself came into the world. And Jesus went. Jesus heard and went. It's all. That might challenge us and stretch us, but it is all. Jesus the true hero of the story, who becomes the greatest deliverer, who becomes the perfect king, the righteous prophet, and the holy priest. He fulfills all from that deep longing of reading these stories through Scripture and saying, God, how could you possibly continue to choose these to change the world? We both have that hero before us, and we're humbled and reminded that God calls us to join in His mission, to see His vision fulfilled. Let's read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, as we head toward the end here and respond. The Apostle Paul says, "'Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus,' could also be translated, "'have the same attitude, mindset,' as Christ, Christ who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be held to. but he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, born in the human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God, highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is hero to the glory of God the Father. How do we respond to this true hero of the story? Seen in God and the call of Moses, seen in Jesus fulfilling and answering the call that we've been longing for, we respond first by hearing his call to us. By saying as we began, here I am, God. If I have not heard you or have not seen you by my own doing, forgive me. Here I am, God, speak. I draw near, knowing you have drawn near to me. Remember, use this time to remember the awesome ways That you have experienced and noticed God's closeness, his voice, his invitation, his conviction, his call, maybe years ago. Remember who you are, how loved you are, and who our God is. How patient he has been to bring you to this point and say, I'm not done with you There's a whole new adventure ahead if you are willing. It may look different than it would have decades ago, but I will be with you. Take courage. Now go. Remember your staff, remember where the source of power comes from. We respond by drawing near to God to know Him more intimately to receive His love and pursuit once again, and to be reminded that He has not changed. I feel like the prayer or the response that can be our prayer, the response of the disciples in John 6, when so many left Jesus after a really challenging teaching that He gave, after feeding the thousands, He talked about His body and His blood. And unless you receive it, unless you eat of my own flesh and drink of me, You will not be one with me. And thousands left, not being able to grasp what he was talking about. It was a very difficult statement. We will come to the table today with more clarity. Remember, this is pre-crucifixion, resurrection, pre-Last Supper, when so many of those teachings and symbols came together. He said to his disciples, would you like to leave too? And they said, To whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. May that be like our prayer. To whom else would we go? God, you have the words of eternal life. Our second response is to be like Moses at the end, not in the statement, send someone else, but in the end, he does go. He yields and he goes. May we walk with God into the places He's calling us, inviting us. Perhaps some, it's not much of a change except for an attitude, a mindset change. It doesn't mean reordering your entire life, but seeing it with His eyes. The needs within your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, saying, God, help me not miss. Help me see and hear as you do and simply reorient my mind with you into these places. For others, maybe there is a whole set change in rhythms, directions that we are pursuing. I trust the Spirit can speak and convict as He will for you. Would you respond as He leads? As we go, we go together. Final word of encouragement. While Moses is sent and asked to do something unique, he is never sent alone. God, by his grace, will send along Aaron. We don't know if that was his plan all along, but he gives him his brother. And a pretty unique relationship will emerge from this that seems to not have existed before. What an amazing grace gift. But it was never God's intention for him to go alone. His call was, go to the elders of your people. And with them, they will listen to you because I will be with you, with them lead. Moses will go first. But he's not meant to go alone. As we journey in faith, God never sends us alone. He may call us to unique things that at times feel alone. But we are meant to be with one another as we go into his world. Engaging his mission. Believing his vision. God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. A massive call. But believing it to the core of our being. How could we possibly do that alone? God, help us. Your mission, your vision is too big and too important to not do or to try alone. May we go with one another, encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And if God, by His grace, will do the miraculous and do the supernatural, and we rightly long for that, to see that, for deliverance and healing and freedom into our world, that His kingdom would come. If God will do that, may we never forget where we've come from. Remember your staff. Let us pray and respond. Father God, we thank you for your words that you have preserved now for thousands of years. Thank you that we are grounded into something so much deeper and bigger than so much of what we see in our present reality. The changes in our world that seem to be life altering but in your perspective mean so little. Ground us again into your story, to your character to your name." Some of us here would say, I have been humbled. I'm in that place. And we have all the same kinds of doubts that Moses had. In fact, we might even say, God, I don't hear you calling at all. And that's become our expectation. Lord, would you rekindle in us a desire to hear your voice, to walk with you, to know your power, to see your healing touch. Lord, for others here, that has been the regular prayer of their life. And you have answered in some miraculous ways. Remind us we give thanks today. Keep that longing. Keep us humble, we pray. And maybe for all of us, I think we are questioning in our unchanging world for these past few years, God, what, what would you have for us collectively into this place, into this time? You see tomorrow. You know what's coming next year and in 5, and in 10, into the east side of Seattle, into our country, into our world. Lead us, God. Send us, God, with your staff, with a humble boldness to do what you're asking us to do for your glory, for our joy, Thank you, Jesus. You're our hero. We long for you. Thank you that we don't have to take that place. Forgive us if we try. You're our hero. May we proclaim you in all we do and whenever we have opportunity. We come to you now to be reminded, to be filled with your presence yet again and the hope and the peace and the security that only comes from you. In your name we pray, amen.